Welcome to the Way of Crypto Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan. Today's date is June 7th, 2022. It is 1.07 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, only relevant for market stuff. We got a lot of news happening today. Uh, market stuff, not so interesting. We'll go into that right now, but actually some really big news coming out of the U.S. Uh, as far as bills and crypto regulation goes, but more to follow on that. Uh, we'll get into all that stuff in detail together. Uh, right now, greed and fear index is at a 15. We're still looking at extreme fear. Slight improvement over yesterday. Uh, yesterday was 13. Today we got a 15, so two point bump. However, I expect that to drop down to like a 10 probably uh, since we had that little pump yesterday. And since then, Bitcoin has slowly been bleeding. Uh, no news there. We kind of called that yesterday that uh, it wasn't going to last. It just didn't seem very strong. Um, and we were right here at Way of Crypto on that. Um, so nothing to get excited about. Market is just kind of ranging. Uh, nothing to be extremely fearful or extremely positive about. It's just just ranging right now. Uh, and the market generally is pretty boring, minus uh, a few kind of exceptions here. Uh, we'll go through the prices. And right now we have Bitcoin at 29893 down almost 5% on the 24-hour. Ethereum down almost 4% or a little above 4% on the 24-hour, sitting at 1781 Getting closer and closer to that $1,500 uh, Ethereum. It looks like it's coming. BNB down 6%. We have some trouble uh, for BNB. We'll get into that later on today. Just kind of remind me of it going over. Uh, sitting at 283 well below that $300 that BNB kind of sits comfortably at. Uh, Cardano up 5% still. So congratulations to Cardano holders. I think uh, Solana is bleeding into Cardano is what it appears to be happening, which is uh, an interesting turn of events here, isn't it? Uh, XRP sitting at $0.40, cents, roughly uh, $0.39, $0.39, cents, uh, $0.39.5, we'll say that. Solana at $39, going down below 40 Solana done, it. maybe it's down 7% on the 24-hour. Um, the network woes just have to, they got to fix that. Uh, Dogecoin down 3%. Hovering at eight cents right now. Usually Dogecoin sits about eight three, eight five, something like that. Right now we are at eight zero. So it's looking to break into that seven cent mark uh, to the low side. Polkadot, we are at nine ten, uh, up or down, sorry, down four point four percent on the twenty four hour. Tron is down. This Unsus led LEO is up five percent again on the twenty four hour. Kronos down 3%. So market is red all the way around. Um, no surprise here, except with the exception of uh, the bill introduced uh, into uh, the U.S. Congress, Congress, I believe. Uh, look into that more in a few minutes here. But um, I thought they were, that would have some effect on price action. The bill, right, as of right now, looks very positive, but uh, subject to change Always, um, always applies. So I thought it would actually uh, have some positive price action, but really doesn't appear so. Terra Classic down again, 12% on the 24-hour. Terra Classic is donezo pretty well. <laughs> My gamble did not pay off, and I shouldn't have done it. I should have known better. 
Uh, anyways, we'll get into the articles here. The biggest news story, there's two really big ones. The first one is there's a bipartisan bill that just got introduced to – it is Congress, right? Uh, key oh, – I'm going to go through the headline. We're going to go through this together here. This is from Coindesk. Key U.S. senators introduced crypto bill outlining sweeping plan for future rules. So U.S. senators. Christine, Kristen Gillibrand and Cynthia Lunis. Uh, Cynthia Lunis very pro-crypto, uh, and she gets it too. The interesting thing about Cynthia Lunis is uh, when you hear her speak about Bitcoin, decentralization, scarcity, uh and other things in the crypto space, uh, including uh, like your new te- like your technology tokens, like your Ethereum and your Polkadot and, and things like that, she uh, she gets it. She understands. She has a deep understanding of the Bitcoin and crypto space, and it's great that she's behind this bill. She understands all of it. Uh, anyways, back to it, uh, Cynthia Loomis, and on the other side. Christine, uh, Kristen Gillibrand, I'm not so sure. I don't, I don't really know either way. I haven't heard her speak on crypto very much. So I, I'm curious as uh, what her thoughts are as a co-sponsor of this bill. Uh, anyways, they released the long-awaited strategy that favors the CFTC as a watchdog and wipes away tax worries for purchases of less than $200. Yeah, so they wanted to move uh, just a couple of big points that I know of now. They actually, uh, the bill introduces legislation to have the CFTC um, legislate and set the rules for crypto and not the Security Exchange Commission, uh, which is interesting. The significance, I think, of that is yet to be seen. And the other, the big one, is no tax, no capital gains tax on using Bitcoin to make purchases that are less than $200 USD. Uh, so right now you go and you buy a taco or whatever with a place that accepts Bitcoin, you're paying capital gains tax on that Bitcoin you're using to make that purchase. With this legislation, you can go buy that taco and it's just a one-for-one exchange like you're using a US dollar or anything else with no capital gains tax. It's really uh, extremely positive. Okay, let's dig into the article here. A wide-reaching bipartisan bill, which is key, because people there's crypto fans on both sides both sides of the aisle which is much needed Uh, bipartisan crypto bill emerged tuesday from u.s senator cynthia loomis uh, and Kristen gillibrand who are seeking to extend a comprehensive set of regulations across digital assets in the u.s and have given industry lobbyists something meaty to debate their bill would liberate small-scale purchases of goods and services that mire of tax implications by making transactions of less than $200 tax-free, which is uh, obviously not tax-free as far as sales tax or whatever uh, your state may vary up in Canada here or provinces may vary, uh, but uh, tax-free in the state, in the um, in the idea that you're not paying a uh, capital gains tax on your transaction when you're using Bitcoin. So it's not thought of as a stock. You're not using a stock to buy something you're using a currency to buy something as long as it's under two hundred dollars there's no capital gains tax uh potentially clearing a path for cryptocurrency that acts more like a currency and as expected the legislation would grant new powers excuse me and a commanding presence to the commodity futures trading commission which 
all legislation for crypto Bitcoin would fall under the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and not the SEC, as we uh, discussed there. Legislation attempts to tackle the biggest questions hanging over digital assets. It would set new federal laws for stablecoins, tax on small-scale payments, and jurisdiction of regulators. Those are some big key things. Answering the uncertainties that have kept the fledging financial sector from maturing. The effort, effort from Loomis and Gillibrand, however, is seen in Washington as a starting point for dialogue that won't lead anywhere significant before the next year. Yeah, so uh, before we get too excited, uh, I think they're going to talk about it here, but this won't. Uh, it's going to be, it's at least minimum a year away before any of this legislation happens. It joins several previous bills that mostly sought to bite off narrow pieces of the cryptocurrency landscape, such as a recent push for stablecoin rules by Senator Pat Toomey. It even borrows from some of that work. Hopefully we get into stablecoins. What they're going to sing is both stablecoins as well, because that is uh, just as important as the Bitcoin stuff. Still, the people or the bill would likely have to split into several pieces in 2023 as it winds through Congress committees in the next session. With Loomis on the Senate Banking Committee that oversees the Security and Exchange Commission and Gillibrand holding a spot on the Agricultural Committee, that oversees commodities and the CFTC. The lawmakers are well-placed to help shepherd key portions of legislation. Their Responsible Financial Innovations Act creates a regulatory clarity for agencies charged with supervising digital asset markets, provides a strong, tailored regulatory framework for stablecoins, and integrates digital assets into our existing tax and banking laws, Loomis said. There are some of the main features that Gillibrand described as a landmark bill that will provide clarity to both industry and regulators while also maintaining the flexibility to account for the ongoing evolution of digital asset markets, which is key because crypto moves so fast. It's crazy. If you're, uh, if you haven't paid attention to the crypto space in three months, you are well behind. Uh, and that I'm not saying a price action. I mean, uh, the tech that's being created and, um, uh, how fast it is being adopted. And what adopt what things are happening to make that adoption and convenience easier on the part of the crypto user? Uh, it moves so fast, and uh, the legislation has to be it has to give the market uh, space to bump around and move in. It would define the terrain between crypto securities and commodities, allowing token issuers to know beforehand what they are launching based on the purpose of the asset and rights or powers to convey its consumers. The market envisioned in the bill is dominated by commodities, including most of the big names in crypto, such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, and dozens of other tokens with significant market share that would fall into a definition as ancillary assets overseen by the CFTC. So not securities. That's interesting. The lawmakers would give the CFTC authority over the spot markets in crypto commodities as sought by agency chief Rustin Benman that would carve out a key new power for federal watchdog that doesn't now have much reach into cash markets. It also gives needed legal clarity in how uh, to handle customers' holdings after the recent furor over cons- consumers' tokens getting roped in with an exchange asset in the event the company goes bankrupt. A worry, a worry that erupted after crypto coin exchange Coinbase suggested it is possible in a recent Securities and Exchange Commission filing. The Biden administration has signaled it wants better custody arrangements in any crypto bills moving through Congress. I just had to take a drink there. The Loomis 
Gillibrand proposal also adopts language from a bill last year that sought to clarify the meaning of a crypto broker, especially hoping to protect wallet providers, software developers, and others from being snagged by a certain tax reporting requirement. This bill does automatically set up the self-regulatory organization that in that many in the industry have lobbied for, but it calls for a study from the SEC and CFTC and a proposal for starting one. Crypto operations watched by the CFTC would, under this legislation, have to start paying fees to fund the agency, akin to the model that now supports the SEC. The senators also suggest an industry sandbox in which regulators let crypto firms test new products on a limited scale and duration. Interesting. In light of the recent democratic collapse, dramatic collapse of Terra USD, one closely examined aspects of the bill will be its move toward 100% reserve assets and detailed disclosure requirements for all payment issues, stablecoin users. Uh, yeah, I like that. Um, so if you're tethered to be a regulated stablecoin in the U.S., I guess a legal stablecoin in the U.S., once this bill passes, uh, would need to have 100% covering of their issued tokens. Not a bad thing. That way nothing is printed out of thin air. Uh, I like it. There would be a new framework for banks and credit unions to issue stablecoins. But issuers wouldn't have to become depository institutions. The lawmakers insist that existing stablecoin issuers and new entrants into the market have an adequate opportunity to compete with existing banks and credit unions. This I don't know enough about yet. Uh, the bill also requires certain disclosures to the SEC from companies that raise funds through digital asset scales. The approach would ensure that market participants and other security regulatory community receive detailed and accurate disclosures that those digital assets that are widely traded, but in a manner that encourages innovation, said Lewis Cohen, co-founder of DX Law, a crypto lobbying firm. Uh, so it looks like lobbyists, crypto lobbyists are working with uh, Gillibrand and Loomis on the framework of this bill, which is needed because you need people in the know. But like I said, Cynthia Loomis is, she gets crypto. Uh, she's the ideal person to have behind the bill. Gillibrand, not taking anything away from her, could be the same thing, could be the ideal person. I just haven't heard her speak on crypto uh, like I have Cynthia Loomis. So more really positive news on the side of PayPal. PayPal lets users transfer Bitcoin and Ethereum to external wallets. So PayPal is no longer has to be the custodian of your Bitcoin uh, held on your PayPal account. It can be transferred to a real uh, Bitcoin wallet on chain and Bitcoin or, or Ethereum wallet on chain, which is fantastic news. PayPal is offering a long term demanded feature that will let users move their crypto to external wallets and hardware devices. This is pretty big. Um, it, PayPal usually likes to keep things within their ecosystem. I think all companies like to keep things within their ecosystem, but they see crypto uh, for what it is, uh, decentralized and sovereign and allows people to control all their own assets. And PayPal is getting on board with this as well and allowing you to move your uh, digital asset. It's crazy to think that before this, you couldn't move your own digital asset to your own wallet. You had to keep it on uh, corp some other uh, corporation or uh, institution's 
you had to keep it them as a custodian and, and you weren't in control of your own thing. Isn't that crazy to think that your, your possession can't, wouldn't, can't be in, can't be in your own control, but now it can. Uh, and I think a lot of people, a lot of uh, institutions are getting this and gets getting, that's where it's headed with, uh, Web3 and Bitcoin, and they are reading the writing on the wall and adopting this policy. And that is fantastic to see PayPal. Uh, full disclosure, I've never used PayPal for a crypto transaction. I've only used cryptos peer-to-peer for wallet-to-wallet transactions. And I've only used PayPal in uh, – I've only used fiat in PayPal, whether it be credit or uh, – credit or cash in the PayPal account or debit or whatever uh, in that way. But I, what I mean is uh, I've only used fiat to transact with PayPal. So I'm not exactly sure how this would work, but uh, allowing people to move their coins and tokens to their own wallets, uh, that is the future for sure. Uh, oh yeah. So this is a kind of a cool article that I haven't looked at at all. I don't know nothing about the story. We're going to go through this together. But it's titled, this is from Coindesk, it's titled New Research Unearthed Insights into Satoshi and Bitcoin's Early Days, which is always cool to read about. The paper makes no claims about the Bitcoin network today. More than a decade after the end of period, the end of the period analyzed, but it underscores well-known and long-standing privacy challenges. Uh, yeah, it's not that long. So we're going to go into this a little bit uh, and see what it's got. A new academic paper claims that Bitcoin in its first two years was more centralized and fragile than had been widely recognized. The cryptocurrency survived and thrived thanks to a small group of pioneers who chose not to attack the network when they could, when they easily could have, said the study, which was co-authored by nine researchers from six universities around the globe. The academics named and affiliations are listed at the bottom of the article. One of them, Alyssa Blackburn, will speak at the Consensus 2022 in Austin, Texas this week. Bitcoin's formative years thus offer an interesting window into cooperation between anonymous parties. Anonymity can interfere with cooperation mechanisms of reciprocity, relatedness, and reputation, and is thus believed to reduce cooperation in general. The paper notes. So what it means is uh, when you're anonymous, you may try and pull more stuff that you would if you weren't anonymous. Yeah, counterintuitively, the data shows that even though 64 parties controlled most of the computing power during this era, they all acted in the best interest of the network, even when they didn't know each other. Really cool. To be clear, the study makes no concrete claims that, about the security of the Bitcoin network today, more than a decade after the end of the period analyzed. Yeah, so it's obviously much different today in Bitcoin mining and the way Bitcoin mining is distributed all over the world. It's a totally different thing than what it was, but it's interesting to see what it was. So this article is just, or it's that statement is just kind of drawing the line saying, this isn't what Bitcoin is today. So this is, don't be, don't be afraid when you're reading this article. I think that's what it's getting at here. Uh, We sought to understand the social economic process by which Bitcoin transitioned from a digital object with no market to a functional medium of exchange. Researcher Erez, I can't say this guy's name, Erez Liberman Aiden told Coindesk, we therefore chose to study the period between launch and price parity with the US dollar, the 25 months after Bitcoin's launch. Aiden noted that the forms of data leakage that the researchers focused on were selected because of their usefulness in studying the defined 25-month time frame. In the end, we found that it was a lot of 
in the end, we found that there was a lot of data leakage that we could exploit, which made our study possible, he, he said. Now, obviously, Bitcoin has been through extensive changes since 2011. So some forms of data leakage may work less well now, and some may work better. On the other hand, he also noted that the project was able to succeed because of a high degree of metadata leakage from the blockchain during the period we studied. There is no particular reason to believe that the data leakage is limited to that period of time we studied. Nevertheless, the, period, the paper, which the New York Times has covered, is likely to provoke heated discussion about long-standing challenges to Bitcoin's network user privacy, given the, the novel combination of address linking techniques, techniques that researchers employed, and more broadly about the motivation that enables decentralized networks to function. Um, I don't know. I think there's a debate among uh, Bitcoiners and people in the crypto space whether the uh, um, whether privacy and the block Bitcoin blockchain is uh, is an issue or not. I think that is a debate. Uh, however, there's no debate um, that the Bitcoin blockchain is entirely transparent. I think everyone understands that. And uh, well, not everyone understands that, but if you're a Bitcoiner or you've had some time in the crypto space, you understand that all transactions on the Bitcoin network are uh, totally trackable. And that's what part, that's one of the selling features of the Bitcoin network is everything is totally transparent. Your wallet address isn't linked to you unless you're, uh, unless it's linked to you through a KYC uh, from an institution. However, that's the only way your wallet address is linked to you as an individual, but your wallet's at, your transactions through a wallet address that may or may not be linked to you is entirely transparent to everyone on that is curious about it. Um, that's not a debate, I don't think. Uh, group of 64 Bitcoin miners, only 64, I never knew that. According to the study, 64 separate actors mined a significant portion of the Bitcoin created from January 3, 2009, and the current and the day the currency launched to February 9, 2011, two years, and the day its price climbed to $1. Hmm. Each mining, uh, oh, that's a little blurb about a graphic. We won't read that. It's no use to you guys. The era long predated the advent of specialized mining machines known as ASICs, application-specific integrated circuits. ASIC miners, which are used today, is what they're talking about. Early adopters mined BTC with a central processing unit, uh, CPU, found in a standard home computer. Yes, people are using their computers and laptops and stuff like that to secure the Bitcoin network in the beginning. The idiosyncrasies of these early mining computers helped the researchers identify pseudonymous Bitcoin addresses that were all controlled by the same actors. The paper says, to successfully mine Bitcoin, a computer must randomly generate a string of numbers called a nonce that, when fed into a mathematical formula along with a few other inputs, produces an output below a certain target. Just as individual humans have distinctive handwriting patterns, even if they write gibberish, each miner's computer left fingerprints on the nonces they generated, according to the paper. There are extensive correlations between all of the apparently meaningless strings associated with a single user. It says the extra nonces combined with other established blockchain forensic techniques allow the researcher researchers to zero in on the miners that mined many of the first 25 months worth of bitcoin and generated those early transaction addresses the method was first described by sergio deeming learner in 2013 interesting the, few, the fewer miners there are the greater the chances for one to dominate the network or for more than one to collude to do so 
Uh, yep, that's pretty obvious. It's a 51% attack. The, the, the small number of miners during Bitcoin formative years means the network was routinely vulnerable to the so-called 51% attack. I'm like a mind reader, aren't I? Uh, when someone controlling a simple majority of computing power can spend the same BTC twice, the study says. For example, it's interesting that they just didn't because they wanted Bitcoin to succeed. So uh, they uh, were avoiding making themselves, enriching themselves to see that Bitcoin succeeded. That's why I love Bitcoin. For example, three of 64 top agents each mined six or more blocks in a row. In the most extreme example, in, in October 2010, there were five six-hour periods during which one miner along among the first user GPU could have carried out a 51% attack, the study said. Emphasis could have. Strikingly, we found the potential attackers always chose to cooperate instead. On one hand, their takeaway clashes with the stereotype and perhaps in some cases self-image of Bitcoin users, perhaps early adopters as cold-blooded individualists, rather than relying exclusively on a decentralized trusted network. I think people's perception of early Bitcoin adopters is entirely false. Look at Satoshi. Uh, he disappeared. Right now, he would be a billionaire, and he has dropped off the face of the earth ever to exist, and he's the creator of Bitcoin. And that's... Um, that's what Bitcoin is. He represents what Bitcoin is. And uh, he dropped off the face of the earth and his wallet uh, will forever remain locked. Uh, and that is for the good of the Bitcoin network. And that's the only thing to ever exist with that kind of, um, with that kind of legacy. It's really, uh, it's just, uh, it's amazing. And it's the best thing that ever happened to the crypto space was uh, Satoshi disappearing and not enriching himself and choosing uh, the good of the Bitcoin network and the potential of the good for mankind that Bitcoin could provide over his own wealth, personal wealth. And that doesn't happen very often. And it did in Bitcoin's case. And for anyone to say that Bitcoin comes from a heritage of people only looking out for themselves is totally incorrect. And it's in fact, it's the exact opposite. Uh, Bitcoin's privacy implications. The paper also claims that as of December 2017, 99% of Bitcoin network addresses were at most six transaction hops away from one of those 64 early miners. If Bob sends one Bitcoin to Alice, that's one hop. If Alice sends the coin to Ted, that's two hops between him and Bob and so on. Although the researchers don't claim to have identified the real names behind any of the 64 miners except the two who were already known, they warn that if someone did, many other users' privacy might, might be compromised. Our results imply that where the identities of the 64 top agents have become known, it would easy, become easy to identify short transaction paths linked any target addresses to an already de-identified top agent address. Yeah, so what they're saying is they're very identifiable should they be able to, which they can't because there wasn't a KYC attached to a wallet address in uh, 2000. 10, 2011, 2012, up until recent times. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it could lead to the identity being, um, I guess, the, the identity to be known for all those 64 miners. If they found a handful, it would be easy to link those wallet addresses just because there's not a lot of them. There's only 64 of them. Um, however, there was no KYC back then. Unless people are saying that I'm the Bitcoin, I'm one of those 64 Bitcoin miners, yeah, privacy could be an issue, but it's just, it's not because they can't find out. Um, 
they only find out if people want them to find out. And then if the all the names are known out of the 64 miners, then all their transactions with each other would be visible because there's only that many miners. Uh, not to go down into the weeds too much, I don't want to overcomplicate things uh, when it's only audio. Uh, America's based American-based Satoshi, question mark. The researchers avoid wading into the minefield of trying to unmask Satoshi Nakamoto, Bitcoin's creator whose identity has been hotly debated. That's one of the greatest things about Bitcoin. Hotly debated mystery since he or she or they published here the original white paper in 2008. However, they reiterate, reiterate a previously examined data point that may offer a clue or not. Satoshi's emails, form posts, and code updates were usually sent during Western Hemisphere daytime hours, and his or her or their mining computer was generally inactive at nighttime in that part of the world. The data are in line with the possibility that Satoshi Nakamoto was living in either North America or South America, the academics write. They don't rule out another possibility, a possibility like that many coders. Satoshi was a night owl. So, yeah, that's a really interesting article. And uh, Bitcoin just shows how awesome Bitcoin really is um, to have that kind of history and legacy behind it that the people that initially started Bitcoin were not there for their own, uh, were not there to create wealth themselves, but they were there to create and be in the be a part of um, developing a hard currency medium of exchange that in the future could lead to an even playing field for all people on earth should they choose to accept Bitcoin. They immediately all become banked and will have, uh, if you have a cell phone, you can have a bank account on the Bitcoin network that is entirely secure, entirely yours, cannot be taken away from you from any government body or hacker unless you give them the keys and tools to take those coins away from you. Uh, but it allows every individual on the earth to have a secure, hard money and a way for peer-to-peer transaction. As long as you have a cell phone, uh, you're able to do this uh, with the Bitcoin network. A um, little bit of news. I'm just going to go into these light articles because we're kind of running along here. But uh, BNB right now is at risk because the SEC the Security Exchange Commission in the U.S. has launched a probe against Binance. So BNB token is uh, at looking at a potential uh, potential lawsuit as a security, similar to what XRP is going through. We're going to watch this, um, but it's not looking good for it's not looking good for BNB. We'll see what ends up happening. Uh, but it's not looking good for it in the U.S. It'll be continued to be exchanged and traded in all other markets uh, outside of the U.S. Because it's only the Security Exchange Commission only affects U.S. markets, just like XRP. You can buy XRP in Canada. Uh, you can't in the States, though. Um, but uh, we're going to follow this. And I'm sure this is going to last much longer than uh, it's going to last for a year, two years, three years, whatever it may be but right now the sec is probing into bnb um and another small little article i just want to chat about we're not going to go through it together but ftx we went over yesterday how um exchanges are freeze freezing their hiring and going into uh layoffs telling their interns not to come in and uh that kind of thing 
However, FTX came out today and said they will not freeze hiring amid layoffs and other crypto firms. So FTX is just kind of announcing they are not going to take part in the hiring freeze or the laying off of interns. They are continuing to act as if the bear market will not affect their business. Will it or not? I'm not really sure. Uh, the CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, is smarter than I am, and he is going to do what's best for his company. And this maybe, who knows? Maybe he knows something we don't. But uh, we, we kind of went over this yesterday and how even though exchanges are doing such things doesn't mean they're, they know something you don't. Because um, if they did know, if they knew crypto was going into a bear market, they wouldn't have hired more than they can chew off to begin with. So the idea that they're having a hiring freeze or doing layoffs doesn't mean that they know more than you about the potential crypto bear market crypto winter that's upon us right now uh just keep that in mind they don't know more than you they're just taking guess and trying to protect themselves just like you or me or anyone else would be who is investing in this space uh that's going to wrap up today's show thank you for listening if you're following us on spotify please give us a follow and a rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a subscribe and a rating. And uh, we're a brand new show, so any kind of feedback is very much appreciated. If you want to reach out to me, you can go to www.thewayofcrypto.com. And uh, there is an email form there. You can hit me up with your questions and concerns. If you want to reach out to me on social media, I'm on TikTok at Way of Crypto or Twitter at Way of Crypto Cast. And you can find me there and send me a DM and I'll get back to you. Have a great day and I will see you tomorrow.